Once people place their trust in storing value in Bitcoin, why would they ever go back to a fiat currency? Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom, the Bitcoin mecca of the world. How are you all today? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got the third and final episode in my mini-series with my good friend Dan Held, and today we are looking at a path to a Bitcoin standard. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. Today, we're going to kick off with BlockFi. Now, with BlockFi, you can open up an interest account and start earning money on your Bitcoin. I'm a customer and I have been for over a year. I am loving the fact that my Bitcoin works for me. But you can also use your Bitcoin as collateral and take out a USD loan. And you can fund your BlockFi account directly from your Bitcoin wallet. And with the BlockFi mobile app, you can now fully manage your account on the go. And with their soon-to-be-released Bitcoin rewards card, it's going to be a massive year for BlockFi. If you're interested in checking them out, I do recommend you do your own research and then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Also, we have my new sponsor, Ledger, welcoming them to the show. Now, Ledger was the first hardware wallet I ever used, and I'm still using the Nano I bought nearly four years ago, which is very, very cool. I'm a big fan of the product just because of its ease of use. And for someone like me, usability is always super important. You always hear me talk about that. It isn't just the device with Ledger, though. With Ledger Live, the interface for safely managing your Bitcoin is just so easy to use too. And for Bitcoin Core users, Ledger Live will interface with your own full node from February the 16th, and that includes coin control, which is very cool because that's something I discussed recently with Shinobi. And also, Ledger has a new promo available. If you buy the Ledger Love Pack, that includes a hardware wallet to securely manage your Bitcoin and a voucher worth up to $25 to buy Bitcoin. You can find out more at ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. And also Kraken, the best place for buying and selling Bitcoin. The only place that I use right now for buying and selling Bitcoin. Kraken is consistently rated the best and most secure crypto exchange. And they also have the best in class in customer service. So if you've got an issue, wherever it is, whoever you are, wherever you are, they're going to get that fixed for you. And if you want to start trading Bitcoin, they have every tool you could possibly need. So whatever your level of experience at Kraken.com, it could not be easier to sign up and start trading Bitcoin. They also have a beautiful mobile first app so you can buy Bitcoin on the go. And with their margin trading, futures and OTC desk, Kraken has every option covered for you. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. You can find out more at Kraken.com or download the app. It's available for the iPhone and Android. Just search Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Okay, so to wrap up this Dan Held mini-series, which has been really cool to do. I've really enjoyed it. So firstly, big shout out to Dan. Appreciate your time, mate. But we are going to be talking about a path to a Bitcoin standard. Now, hyper-Bitcoinization is something I heard about quite early on when getting into Bitcoin. And I was like, really? You sure? You think this can happen? I've talked a lot about it over the years I've been making the podcast. But my opinion on it has changed, especially over the last, I say the last 12 months. I used to think it was a bit of a kind of like a pipe dream. And I just couldn't see how we could ever transition to a fully Bitcoin society. But lots has changed. And rather than looking at it as a single huge event, instead, I'm starting to see the kind of small steps that we're making towards it. Like I am, I say I'm halfway to being on my own Bitcoin standard anyway. There's a huge conviction with this amongst Bitcoiners. But then we have seen the corporations coming in and holding Bitcoin over feared, which I think will only increase. And I don't think we're that far away from nation states to close in Bitcoin positions. 
and this end result of hyper-Bitcoinization just gets closer and closer. So this was a really interesting chat and something that I'll look forward to covering more in the future, and I hope you enjoyed. But if you've got any questions about this, you want to reach out to me, you know my email address. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Outside of that, we've got a smashing show out in Defiance, the Wolves of Wall Street Bets, where we looked at all the shenanigans with Robin Hood, the Wall Street Bets subreddit, and GameStop. And also, if you haven't signed up, I've got a new newsletter service that's available at neveredit.com. That's a Monday to Friday daily email of macro, Bitcoin, and tech. Have a great rest of your weekend, and I will see you all next week. Yo, Dan. How you doing, man? Doing well. Doing well. Excited for today. Yeah, man. Part three of three, though. Do you know what I was thinking today? We could have done like five parts, ten parts, whatever, man. There's so many topics that we could have covered. And that's because your your email. It's a perpetual story. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe maybe in a couple of months we'll do another three. But the um, it's these emails you've been sending out, dude. Like, I get one. I get one. Each one, I'm like, that could be a show. <laughs> what was the one? There was one you sent out. I can't, let me dig it out. There's one you sent out today or yesterday and i was like i want to cover that i was thinking it was like the death yeah, of so, coins or something yeah it's the great filter event so yeah with each yes. email what's kind of cool is if you're a paid subscriber you get to vote on the next topic so i've got a couple different ideas i want to write about this is my newsletter the held report i've got a couple different ideas and you can subscribe to this at substack so google dan held substack but on the dan so at the end if you're a paid subscriber you get to vote on it which is really cool because then my audience tells me what they want to hear about um, but yeah, the last one was on the great filter event. Like, will there be a moment when a lot of altcoins die? And I hypothesize, and the great filter event, by the way, comes from the Fermi paradox. Fermi yes. paradox is we look across the sky, we see all these stars, all these galaxies. Why don't we see a bunch of Star Wars-esque, you know, spaceships cruising around? And the idea is that there's a great filter event in which most great civilizations don't pass through with crypto assets and we don't know if if our human our human civilization has passed that event or if it's in front of us which is a pretty scary idea but with crypto we do know the event is in front of us and that is attacks by states that is the great filter event that is the event when de decentralization is not a not a spectrum it's binary if your protocol is doing anything of value of, of storing tons of value transacting tons of value that threatens the the sanctity of the state that threatens the power of the state and the state will eventually attack it. And so only state level resistance is the only meaningful decentralization is my, my sort of belief. And that is the great filter event is will your crypto survive state level, state level attacks? And I think very few have those properties. Do you know what? In about a year, you're going to be able to collect all these up and put them in a book. It'll be Bitcoin love letters by Dan Hild. <laughs> yeah it's definitely a love letter i think after eight years of being in the space and talking about bitcoin i've probably taken the word bitcoin and used it every possible way in a sentence well dude listen we've done two shows great feedback especially the first one the super cycle amazing feedback on that so i really appreciate you giving me time to do that today's a really important subject um that i wanted to cover with you isn't directly on your one of your from one of your letters it actually was sparked by something that nick carter said to me when i did the interview with francis coppola i'd have to go and dig it out but he talked about the fact that you know bitcoin might only ever be a reserve asset and we still might have sovereign currencies and that's really triggered my mind because a lot of times people talk about you know a bitcoin standard or hyper bitcoinization and then people kind of hypothesize that bitcoin will be the currency that we use and I'm still not myself 100% convinced on that. But either way, I, 
I think a Bitcoin standard doesn't doesn't matter whether we're using Bitcoin as a currency or local currencies. It's whether Bitcoin is your reserve asset. And so this path to a Bitcoin standard, I think, is a really important topic. Um, so I've got a bunch of questions for you because I, I know what I'm thinking, but I want to I want to see what Dan's thinking. Cool. Let's dive into hyper Bitcoinization. Okay. I think before we start on that, just for for me and for the audience, where if you had to like put a flag in the ground, where would you say we are in the Bitcoin story? Yeah, so Bitcoin's trajectory as a money, and, and by the way, we don't have, there's no historical account of how gold became a money, right? Mm-hmm. This is 4,000 plus years old, and there's maybe a couple clay tablets with some information about it. But at that time, I don't think anyone was writing a, a waxing poetically as to how gold came into existence. So we're, we're piecing this together with a tiny bit of historical context, but mainly current uh, understanding of how money works is is how we think through the adoption of Bitcoin. Murad, who has kind of hasn't been in, in the crypto space for a while now, he kind of faded away. Murad had a great chart showing the adoption of a new of a new asset of a, of a new money, which is it goes through several stages of growth, right? Like kind of like a how just how you are a, you know you're a baby, then you're a young child, and then you're a young adult. Um, Bitcoin is a similar cycle, and it starts with being a collectible, being something uh, something that people just collect for fun or novelty, which then eventually turns into a store of value. And, and we are in that stage now where Bitcoin is being widely accepted as a store of value. This stage is necessary before we go into the medium of exchange unit of account final eras, which is what most people think of money as because their government money is primarily used as a medium of exchange unit of account. That final era, you have to hold it in order to want to transact with it. So it's necessary that you believe in it enough to store value in it before it turns into this common day, daily payment method. So that's where the medium of exchange folks were very early with their concept, which was damaging to Bitcoin, damaging to the narrative. That's why we had that civil war. They didn't understand that that stage comes much later. Uh, it is not that it'll never happen. It comes much later. Now, Bitcoin's success metric of being a successful new reserve asset, it does not need to ever enter the medium of exchange unit of account eras. That's, that would just be its completion of a full maturation of becoming a world reserve currency, a world asset that's used by everyone. It very much will achieve that even if it doesn't achieve, it'll it'll still achieve very, very high level of success, even if it just stays in the store of value era. A great example of this is gold. I live in San Francisco, the quintessential gold rush city of the world, the former gold rush city. You could argue that tech is the new gold rush, and so it never stopped being a gold rush city. But with that, Gold is not, I'm not able anywhere in this city to spend my gold on something. And, no, and there's no merchants that have priced their items in gold, but gold is still worth $10 trillion. So it doesn't necessarily matter. I consider it more a cherry on top or a, an absolute domination if Bitcoin hits medium exchange and unit of account era, because if it hits that, then it's totally destroyed any government money. And that means Bitcoin has like wildly exceeded all of our expectations where Literally, no one trusts government fiat anymore, and it's all just Bitcoin. I think that's like the perfect outcome of, of all of this this experiment, this this Bitcoin inception and creation and, and adoption is the ultimate you know success metric is totally replacing fiat. It'll still be very successful if it's just a world reserve currency like gold, or like a world reserve asset like gold, and it's only used in that function. The, the interesting thing on these kind of like life cycle stages for Bitcoin is that it is also quite personal as well because, you know, we're talking about the store of value. It's a store of value for me. It's a store of value for you. 
actually on certain occasions is a medium of exchange for me because it solves problems that I have with using the fiat rails, right? So occasionally I'm using it as a medium of exchange. We know crypto traders use Bitcoin as a unit of account. And quite interestingly, there are a lot of Bitcoiners who use Bitcoin as a unit of account because they're trying to measure the value of something and how it depreciates. So I've started to notice some people do it. I can't because I can't reprice in Bitcoin because like I look at it, I go, oh shit, what, what? you know, I'm trying to like do the math in my head. But I appreciate that idea of starting to use Bitcoin as your uh, unit of account, especially with the way the price moves. So it is quite individual, but I think what you're talking about, right, is where it's mass acceptance of a as a medium of exchange. Yeah, I'm talking about a level where, you know, you in the medium of exchange, folks never understood the folks like the Pcashers who tried to champion for this too early. I'm like, I'm like, look, there, I don't go to my fucking store and see stuff priced in euros, like, yeah. <laughs> and or yen or, or pounds or anything else. And same with you, you don't see stuff priced in dollars in your local grocery store out in the UK. Like, we just don't see that because there's a network effect to that money being commonly accepted as a medium of exchange and and mentally representative of the unit of of unit of account. The idea of like, I'm like, oh, that unit number is what I calibrate all my thinking with. Bitcoin, especially during its more volatile periods in its younger stages, like where we are now, and due to the lack of, of adoption, which lack of adoption, by the way, Bitcoin has been wildly successful, just isn't used by 40% or 60% of the population. When it reaches those stages of like 60% of the population storing their value in Bitcoin, trusting it, and now them all asking merchants and businesses all now want to accept it and use it because everyone, it's a network effect thing, right? Because they all want to accumulate Bitcoin or use it for that purpose and Bitcoin's volatility has started to decrease. Also, you know, at this stage, I would say that Bitcoin's maximum upside is getting close to asymptotic, right? Like Bitcoin has hit a 10 to $100 trillion market cap. There might be some room for growth, but we all have to remember that while Bitcoin is exciting and new and fun and in a wild growth period and a huge, you know, people would consider very speculative. If Bitcoin succeeds as is gold 2.0, it'll be known as something very boring. <laughs> like when we're old, our kids are going to be like, dad, mom, I don't give a shit about Bitcoin. It's like it's boring. It's like the most boring investment I can hold. It you know only appreciates 2% a year or something. That's going to be Bitcoin when we're old. It is it is this gold 2.0. It is the less it's the least risky asset you could hold, which means that other investments, you know, again, this is decades away from now. If Bitcoin succeeds wildly, other assets would be perceived as a much higher risk return profile. And that's where, you know, I think people, you know, at, at, at those sort of stages, it very much switches into that unit of account medium of exchange, uh, I would say epic very quickly. It's funny you should say that. Our uh, mutual friend Jeremy Welch once said to me, like, he, he he likes Bitcoin to be boring. <laughs> He's happy when Bitcoin's being boring. Uh, and Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, so that's fair. Actually, just a, on a point on that, do you ever worry we will get to the point, like Bitcoin, you've talked about to me before, about these, like Satoshi built in this feedback loop, this kind of like marketing hype loop. And it's a number go up thing, right? We're getting it again now. We will likely get it for the next cycle. But do you ever worry we might get to the point where because you aren't going to get those, you know, 10, 20 X cycles, you know, it might be like 2% over four years or something that at that point, the shine comes off it. And there's a risk of people scaling out of Bitcoin and saying, this is done. You know, the speculators are like, mm, do you worry about that? I don't think so. Because 
the, the utility of Bitcoin is it's hard to seize nature in immutable properties. That's the inherent properties it has. And it incentivizes mm-hmm. early participants in the network or early hodlers by that price appreciation. Um, but that doesn't, even if price appreciation doesn't occur, you still have those underlying properties of Bitcoin, which I think are very, very valuable. And as we've seen institutional folks mention, they perceive that as like why they hold Bitcoin. They're like, yeah, the upside's great. But like Michael Saylor and others are like, I'm just trying to get my money out of fiat. If we see these negatively eighteen trillion dollars of negatively negatively yielding sovereign debt, I mean that's insane. Like, you know, so these sort of numbers, like Bitcoin is a is a is a lifeboat. It's you're hopping into a lifeboat, and yeah, it's like oh well, maybe the lifeboat I get in, you know, like maybe if I get in early, I get a better seat. You're still in the lifeboat, you know. Yeah. You're, you're still in the lifeboat. You're still utilizing Bitcoin's core properties. So, yeah, that's a good question. With like, will people continue to buy Bitcoin as it's potential price appreciation decreases? And I think, yes, it has an underlying utility of, of hard to seize and immutable. All right. Before we get into the specifics of what a Bitcoin standard means, again, just in terms of like the life cycle, I just want to cover a couple of bits and say, okay, where do we think we are specifically? So for example, on the technical side of Bitcoin, in the development of the protocol, where do you think we are with that? Do you think we're like, we're in quite advanced position? We're quite early? I have mixed feelings, but yourself... I'd say on the technical side, we're very late stages on layer one. I think there's a big movement for ossification. Ossification Mm -hmm. meaning more like things turning concrete and static on the base layer and all innovation happening above that. For For the base financial system layer, you need that core stable, unchanging or very slow changing uh, network. You don't want to be swapping out the engines on a rocket ship mid-launch. You want everything to be locked in, ready to go. And with Bitcoin, I see the uh, rate of change probably slowing over time. Um, I, and, and eventually, I think like most people would like eventually to become either static or, you know, we look at very, very long term threats like decade, multi-decade threats. Like maybe, you know, quantum computing is not a threat to Bitcoin. We could see it decades out and we could modify the protocol to be quantum resistant. But that would be an example of something maybe we debate about for 10 years and then and then implement, you know, so extremely slow moving. So maybe like the change never reads out, maybe the protocol never reaches ossification state, but it reaches like, you know, like glacial, like, like very slow moving. I think this is great too, because then it reduces the amount of like attack vectors. Mm-hmm. You could always try to like insert a new piece of code, even though it goes through massive amounts of review, it's all transparent. There is a still a tiny, tiny possibility that some flaw could be introduced versus like Bitcoin has worked super well so far. Um, so there will be needed changes will need to be made over time. I would expect those, that rate of change to decrease. Okay, right. Next thing is with regards to decentralization, because that's obviously one of the most important foundational properties of Bitcoin and decentralization is across multiple different factors. Uh, I uh, I actually spoke today to the uh, the guy who runs F2 pool uh, because of the FUD this week about them dumping coins and shorting the market, which is absolute bullshit. But I was also, while I was on the phone to him, I was like, just tell me a little bit about like the state of decentralization in, in uh, mining because you still got the people coming in and saying, oh, it's all in China, blah, blah, blah. He said, we've never been in a better position. Like Bitcoin has never been more decentralized. He said we've got uh, mining pools and, um, and uh, he said we've got people like, uh, sorry, we've got miners uh, plugging into his mining pools, he said, from all over the world. It isn't just China, it's America and blah, blah, blah. But, but decentralization is a whole bunch of things. But in terms of decentralization, where do you think we're at with that? 
Yeah, from on the miner side or another type of decentralization? Just miners? Everything to be, to, I mean, what are the important things with Bitcoin? The decentralization is nodes, it's miners, it's developers. Yeah, like I would say, like broadly bucketed, you have um, social, political, and economic sort yeah. of bucketing for decentralization. And that's what I wrote about in my last article around the surviving state level resistance. Those are like the three broad buckets of decentralization that I kind of created. I mean, these are totally like subjective. You could come up with whatever sort of slicing you want. On the political front, you've got leadership. Bitcoin has superb decentralization on the leadership front. We do not have a Vitalik. We do not have a singular leader whose absence or death or some other circumstance or, um, you know, or coercion could hurt the protocol. We don't have that, which is phenomenal. Bitcoin, I think, stands out as a protocol that has no definitive leader. And I think that's great. Also, there's no pre-mine, which, which, which increases decentralization. On the miner front, you're right. Mining pools do not represent geographies. So like people go, oh, this mining pool is based in China. I'm like, great. The mining pool is, but not the miners. Um, so when it comes to geographical location of the miners, it's hard to know where they are. But we know that increasingly North America and Europe are, are spinning up more and more mining efforts. There's a couple different uh, yeah. ways to remove mining pools from the ecosystem to where there's like decentralized mining pools. So I think stratum yeah. is something that we worked on there. I have not dug in too deeply on this. I know yeah. the slush folks are really big about it. Um, yeah. So I think that's cool. I don't think mining pools are that big of a deal in terms of centralization risk, but having, uh, having those be removed is, is an increasing degree of decentralization. Also like running nodes. I think the Bitcoin community has been very, very vocal about how they want nodes, to, you know, in terms of efficiency of on-chain data has enabled nodes to be cheap and accessible almost anywhere in the world. I think that's awesome. Personally, I'm a huge fan of like running, you know, like using uh, the Blockstream satellite connection. I'm also a huge fan of ideas of using like ham radio to transmit blocks or to transmit transactions. I mean, that's some like nuclear grade shit. You know, that, that's pretty you cool. Cypherpunk. <laughs> There's actually a whole level I'd like to take to this, you know, maybe in the next bull run here, I could advocate for it in terms of like me getting a couple companies to do it. Mm -hmm. ICBM facilities, uh, across the United States had an, a very, very unique communication method. If World War III is happening and there are nuclear bombs being detonated all across the world, all satellite communication, all landline communication ceases to be really functional. So they created something called like a very stable, low-frequency communication methodology that uses the Earth's core, where you can propagate data through the Earth's core. And it has <laughs> a, device, it. a device about the size of my desk here. Uh -huh. It's this metal sphere. And most stations were receive only, but the, the sending stations weren't that big. So we could build these stations probably for under like $10 million to propagate Bitcoin blocks through the Earth's core, which would survive even a, even a nuclear apocalypse. So that, that's the level I'd love to get Bitcoin to is like that sort of level where we have like so many different layers of communicating Bitcoin blocks where it's not just on the internet. It's on these, these other layers that can be um, really, really resilient. So... Bitcoin works that way because the block size is so small. We can do stuff like that. Low low throughput, low data storage requirements. It's pretty amazing, especially as Moore's Law, when it comes to data, like throughput, and, or like Moore's Law is more around processor speed, but like if you apply that to data throughput and hard drive space, it'll be cheaper and cheaper to run a Bitcoin node in the future. So nice. it'll increasingly become cheap. I think that's really cool for decentralization. You also have like the economic component. 
So over time, the block reward, which is used to incentivize miners to order transactions properly, the block reward over time, the newly minted Bitcoins plus the transaction fees are what compensate the miners in the block reward. Over time, the newly minted coins drop, as we all know through the halving cycles, and transaction fees are expected to compensate <clears throat> or to replace the subsidy over time. Uh, this is occurring both in Bitcoin and Ethereum, but no other cryptocurrency. So we can use this as an objective metric to look at like, will these survive state level attacks when, like, cause these, these other protocols don't have real usage. Like they're just, people aren't paying transaction fees to move value on these chains. And Bitcoin and Ethereum are the only two that have accrued enough value in terms of like people, the price uh, transactors are relatively price inelastic. So I think those all point to like Bitcoin being an incredible, like Bitcoin's long-term trajectory is, is looking for good for decentralization on both like, yeah, like I mentioned the political and the economic layers and the, like the technological and some of the, the technology, I guess could be lumped under the, uh, lumped under some of the, the, the social aspect. And then you have, um, you have like the hodlers, you need an, a intolerant minority to protect the values and in the monetary policy behind Bitcoin and also be the buyer of last resort during these Bitcoin bear markets. We had mm -hmm. March 12th, 2020, Bitcoin dipped to 3,800. It didn't go to zero because we all bought it. Yeah. If you didn't have the hardcore resilient group of hodlers, the price would go to zero. So the amount of content in this space that reinforces this Bitcoin belief has never been better. Mm -hmm. There are more and more people all across the world. There are more and more exchanges where you can buy and sell Bitcoin and more and more ways to do that, which builds a more resilient social uh, cohesiveness, which is the network effect amongst the hodlers and the believers, but also on the economic front. Now you have uh, more bidders of last resort. You have more of uh, value being able to be piped in and fiat to buy Bitcoin. So Bitcoin, I think, has never been in a better spot in terms of decentralization across a wide variety of different metrics. And then I think these all point very positively towards the future. Nice. Okay. The last thing I want to talk about in this, then we get into it, is where do you think we are at the stages of acceptance? And there's again, there's a few levels to this. We've There's like regulatory, which I don't see as a threat. I just see it as more of something uh, that can just kind of get in the way. It's like a, it's like a, it's just like an annoyance, right? It's like something that's just interfering. I don't, I don't see any situation, certainly in uh, Europe or North America, where we see any uh, bans. I just see like, I just see like it's an annoyance. Um, then acceptance within retail, which, uh, and then acceptance within institutions, which I, well, no, actually, let's throw in nation states on top of that. There's like regulatory, retail, institution, and nation states. And by the way, I'm in my personal level, it's like I'm seeing stuff starting to flip now, and the institutional is obviously flipping, but that might bring more retail back in. But anyway, where do, where do you see we are on all these yeah. four sectors? I'll start with the last and work back to the first. Right. So on the institutional side, we have seen <clears throat> a resounding narrative mm -hmm. across all institutions across the world. Bitcoin is a store of value. That that is the narrative. That is being well known. That is well known by all of the top minds in finance, and that's yeah. an incredible achievement. They control all the money in the world. The government, governments merely lean in and try to take some of that money. But this is about the global understanding and people who move value across the world. This is their understanding of Bitcoin. A phenomenal achievement. I mean, we were considered lunatics a couple of years ago. And now for all of them to be like, oh yeah, Bitcoin's totally like a gold 2.0. This is huge. On the retail side, they're just now coming into the market. They weren't here in the early part of this cycle. It was mainly institutional driven. Now we're seeing retail start to pile in. I think this is obvious with Dogecoin. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's I know, right? Very oh God, dude. Very, yeah, I know. It, thanks, it's a lot of thanks, a lot Elon. Of, 
he likes to he's a jokester man he likes to joke around but unfortunately that means a lot of people's money too so um yeah and i mean you know it's just crazy to see these dogecoin metrics across the board for like exchanges as well i mean kraken ranks number one for the keyword by dogecoin so you know we yeah there's a lot of interest um and but retail eventually, you know, they want to find a shelling point for this pent up frustration that they have with the existing system. We saw this with our Wall Street bets with mm-hmm. uh, the huge, you know, trying to squeeze the short sellers of AMC and other companies. This feeling won't go away. This feeling has been simmering since the 2008 financial crisis, and it will probably reach a boiling point here in the next year or two. Bitcoin is perfectly positioned to be the shelling point, the, the rallying cry behind this revolution. And it's a very easy revolution to participate in. You just buy Bitcoin and hodl it. You don't have to paint a flag and run around on the street. You don't have to do voluntary work. You just buy Bitcoin and that's your vote. That's your vote against the system. And so on the retail level, I think that eventually they'll they'll land on that narrative. I think like they'll eventually find that they'll stop trying to speculate on random shit coins and they'll go, you know, Bitcoin is the, the revolution here, um, especially as more and more pedigreed folks pile into it <clears throat> as it gains momentum. That that seems to make sense to me. On the regulatory side, Bitcoin is already, this is what's so funny is people are like, well, Bitcoin needs to be regulated. I'm like, dude, Bitcoin is one of the most regulated assets in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've got the CFTC, SEC, IRS, FinCEN, they all weigh in on Bitcoin, including a bunch of other alphabet soup agencies. I can't, ever, can't even remember off the top of my head. So like Bitcoin is already, and that's just in the US alone. Bitcoin is very regulated. They've all very much weighed in and given opinions over the last five years that have been pretty concrete. Bitcoin's understanding by the by these regulatory agencies is, I'd say, very clear. Now, mm-hmm. I know FinCEN might want to include more, um, more restrictive sort of uh, data that they want to col- like they want to collect more data around transactions. This is common with U.S. cash <clears throat> dollars, so they're not exactly extending this. They tried to push it to a, a level that was beyond the requirements for cash and Coin Center, and folks pushed, I think, successfully against that. Big shout out to Coin Center, Naraj, Jerry, Peter, Van Valkenburg. Please make donations. Sorry to just jump this in, but just look, donate to these fuckers. And I think right now, totally. Grayscale are matching donations. Sorry, just give them a shout out. Well done, guys. Yeah, I mean, uh, Kraken's a big supporter of Coin Center. Jesse was uh-huh. one of the biggest donors back in the day. I know you have as well. You know, you've done some great work there. Yeah, they, they do. They do phenomenal work. They were really successful in, re, re, you know, pushing back against that. Mm-hmm. So I think on the regulatory front, we'll we'll always see encroachment by regulators to want to to want to like kind of control Bitcoin. Bitcoin inherently on 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 chain is uncontrollable. So, you know, they can they can only guard the on and off ramps, but you can't stop economic activity happening on chain. So, Bitcoin, no matter how restrictive the regulatory environment, won't be affected by that. It's already well understood by regulators. Now, these other crypto assets like DeFi and Ethereum, I would say are very much unknown by these regulators in terms of like having a concrete answer as to what it may be. Mm-hmm. They've sort of given directional guidance, but I could see a lot of that switching as well in the future. You know, that's where uh, with FinCEN requiring like identifiable information for uh, coins being withdrawn from exchanges, that actually impacted DeFi a lot more than Bitcoin. So I, I think that like TLDR, Bitcoin is highly regulated. I don't see regulators will try to encroach on our freedoms with it. I don't see it as a as a huge deal. It's a constant battle that we'll have to fight. Yeah, but we are in a good position, like you say. Bitcoin is like perfectly positioned. I was chatting to Rao Powell the other day, and I was like, I wonder when we get to the point where you know, got a Bloomberg terminal and you see the name Bitcoin, you're not you don't think, oh, it's like that weird other thing. It just becomes another asset like everything else. And whilst we're 
some way from that because I think a lot of people still don't understand it. At the same time, from what you said, look how well we're positioned. Like the 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 distribution of nodes is like it's really impressive. The decentralization of mining is actually very impressive. The decentralized nature of hodling is really interesting. When you go and look at the the liquidity within, who is it where you can actually see the buying? Um, local bitcoins. You go and see like every fucking market. Was it like two hundred markets now? It's pretty impressive where we are. Like, you know, when people talk about you know, if Bitcoin makes it or blah, blah. I, I, in some ways it already has made it. It's established now. It's part of the consciousness. It's part of the financial systems. Obviously, we hope it continues to grow. But like, it's kind of mind blowing. when you. Th- I mean, it's probably more so for you because you were here a lot earlier than me during the times where you're <laughs> like, this could collapse. This could fail. Yeah. I mean, people don't understand like Bitcoin was worth $10 at the time because people only thought it was worth $10. The whole world thought it was that price. If the world had felt differently about the valuation of Bitcoin, then the price would have been different. That was what the world thought was the appropriate risk reward for holding Bitcoin. It's, it's worth $10. And and a lot of people go, oh, I would have bought as much as I could back then. I'm like, you definitely wouldn't have. You either wouldn't no, have, you, wouldn't. you would have bought no one it when it 2x. Yeah, no one else did either. Yeah, it's the price is representative of the world's perception of it. And yep. it's been wild to see Bitcoin survive these huge monumental challenges like Mt. Gox collapsing, collapsing, Silk Road going uh, under, um, transaction malleability. People don't even remember what that is from 2014. Um, and then like, you know, you also have like the big Bcash uh, hard fork war. Like that was pretty scary. There, there was brother against brother. Uh, you know, to use the old term, uh, brother against brother, like a civil, a true civil war of like, it was one side against the other and it was a bitter battle. And we even saw the Ethereum people lean into that, like v- Vitalik Buterin, he leaned in on the Bcash side to undermine confidence and try to destroy Bitcoin. Like, that's why he said, congratulations on this seriously. You know, like everyone was fighting to try to kill Bitcoin in that moment and it survived. And after going through that, I think we're in such an incredible spot right now. And that's what I mean, when we covered this in our first episode, the Bitcoin super cycle, it's part of the narrative, right? Like we don't have competing mm-hmm. narratives. There's no Bcash competing narrative. There's no ETH and ICO competing narrative. It's basically just Bitcoin. Yeah, sure, there's a small DeFi narrative, but that it doesn't, I would say it's very minor and it's too technical to really be understood by a mainstream audience. Like we didn't, when these DeFi protocols like all raise their hands last couple of weeks and they go, come over to DeFi, CeFi isn't working for you. How many of them saw a bump up in users from all the people fleeing Robinhood? Almost none, <laughs> right? Like that was their rallying cry. That was their moment. And yeah, sure, there was a surge in volume just in trading in general, but so that happened across like centralized crypto exchanges. I don't think we saw like a huge mm-hmm. delta, like a huge change in DeFi usage because people were fleeing these you know, oppressive centralized services. Like, uh, you know, so Bitcoin's narrative, you know, right now, and especially with with COVID in the background, is just so clear and so easy to see. And dude, it's like at thirty eight thousand dollars, quite happily. I mean, I don't think it's ever going under ten thousand dollars ever again. There's a good chance it doesn't go under twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, I don't think we go under twenty thousand ever again. I mean, that's pretty clear to me. Thirty thousand seemed to be the floor that we held, and twenty thousand seems impossibly yeah. low. I mean, again, it's interesting to see these mental cycles occur, right? Where like once we go past a certain price, now everyone's expectations is like, I will buy it if it goes below here, and those create the yeah. floors. It's fascinating to see this play out. Yeah, it, it is. It is well, I, I mean, for someone like me who did their first full cycle, I was like. 
will it ever come back? I mean, this bear market's been so long. Maybe it won't. Maybe I should sell my Bitcoin, go and buy a farm, forget about this shit. <laughs> yeah, here we are. Hey, like, keep keep going, babe. When you Yeah, when you need to, when you feel like selling, that's the time to hodl. Like that, you know, going through these bear markets, were, the 2015 one was particularly brutal. You know, there's great content that you were putting out during the bottom of this bear to rally the troops. Same with me. I'm putting out social content to rally people where I'm like, hey, mm. y'all, I've been here before. We're going to get through it. Dan held. <laughs> Dan, Dan held. He's been here before. You know, I, I mean, I even tweeted back in 2015 when Bitcoin hit $200. You know, I tweeted like HODL at that, that the bottom of that. You know, like I've always believed in Bitcoin and that's all you have to do is at that peak moment of despair is the moment when you need to hodl the hardest and then you recover through these cycles. True, but it still must feel very different now than the other ones. You must be like, holy shit, this is, well, look, we could, we can oh, wax yeah. a recall about that for ages. I want to talk to you about Bitcoin standard. Okay. Just like a quick thing before we get into that, like there will be people who are listening who would have heard of a gold standard might not know exactly what it is like just a brief a brief intro on what the bitcoin uh, sorry what a gold standard was and ultimately why it failed yeah great question so the gold standard was uh gold was the the reserve asset held by all of these different uh governments their central banks held gold as a, a way to back their currency with gold so the government was restrained in their spending capabilities they would only be able to spend so much gold and there was this this uh, there's this tie to gold as the reserve asset to sort of like the money supply may fluctuate around that, but ultimately it is backed by gold. In fact, old dollar bills have you know this is backed by gold essentially printed on the dollar bill. Uh, so you can you can find that. So this 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 uh, gold standard was this decentralized way to control governments from overspending uh, and from manipulating their money. Governments, due to wartime issues, wartime pressures, due to um, other pressures as well, like economic pressures, you know, and I'm just going to kind of broadly apply this because I feel like I don't want to go stay, I don't want to stay too US centric. Due to wartime, economic, and other pressures, they've moved off of the gold standard. And so fiat currency that we have today is completely divorced from any sort of like underlying reserve currency asset that's not controlled by a government. Gold was wonderful because it is minted from the earth. No one can control that supply. No one can print more of it just at will, like by adding a zero in a database. You had to do the proof of work to mine the gold. And that all kept these governments in check. And now that, that check and balance has been removed. And so Bitcoin restores that check and balance by Bitcoin having that 21 million hard cap that is not changeable, totally change totally you know, revamps the dynamic of like what governments are capable of doing. If in the future, and this is why like I don't, I see a, a quasi state where like fiat currency exists with Bitcoin, mm -hmm. but I don't really see a long-term state of that occurring where like Bitcoin only becomes the reserve asset and dollars and pounds are still used. That doesn't make any sense to me given that Bitcoin has different properties than gold. Gold wasn't trans like transportable. Like you can't do it, it's not digitally native. It's And it also wasn't very divisible or verifiable. Whereas Bitcoin has all three of those characteristics that make it more advantageous than gold. Also, the knowable supply is, is pretty phenomenal for calibration of unit of account. Whereas gold, I'm like, no one actually no one actually knows how much gold there is. No yeah. one. Yeah. We can yeah. estimate it, but we don't know. So Bitcoin as a medium of exchange unit of account, potential currency in the future has that capability very much baked in. Um, that's where I see it totally owning the narrative of like being the money because 
once people place their trust in storing value in Bitcoin, why would they ever go back to a fiat currency? Even if the government's forced them to, pe people also forget governments are comprised of people. <laughs> the people that work in the government are people that are holding Bitcoin and the people that they govern are holding Bitcoin. And eventually the government will change their tune if all the people don't want to use that currency anymore. Next up, I talked to Dan more about a path to a Bitcoin standard. But before that, I have a message from my amazing show sponsors. First up, we're going to talk about Exodus Wallet. The month is over. I was telling you that I needed a desktop wallet for managing my Bitcoin because I am increasingly managing my business using Bitcoin. I pay people in Bitcoin. I get paid in Bitcoin. So I need a way of administering this. I use my castle for my deep cold storage, but I have a little bit of day-to-day -day play with Bitcoin, which I use for managing my balances. And this month was the first month I had a play with the Exodus wallet. Gotta say, I love it. It's really simple. Like I could try and give you a whole bunch of reasons. It's just the UX. They've absolutely nailed the UX. It's so easy to use. So if you want to check out Exodus Wallet, just Google Exodus, head over to Exodus.io or search the Apple or Google App Stores for Exodus. Next up, we've got Casa, the very, very best in Bitcoin security. Seriously, if you are making gains in Bitcoin right now in this bull market and you are not fully protecting your Bitcoin, you need to get your shit together. And I would recommend checking out Casa. I can't believe I've been with them for eight months now. I have no idea where that eight months has gone. But for me, it's just so much peace of mind. I'm protected from my own idiotic mistakes, which I'm more than capable of doing. In-person attacks, device failure, and so many other things. So I'm very happy to be a Casa customer. But definitely go and check them out. They do have a product for every Bitcoiner. They have Casa Gold. Well, that's going to give you triple the security of a hardware wallet, and that's only $10 a month. You can check out Casa Platinum, which is their three of five multi-sig, and they also have Casa Diamond, which is their full service offering, which I'm thinking of upgrading to, because that includes a customized personal security review, inheritance planning, and of course, they're best in class in security. There is no better time to upgrade upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. And lastly today, but not least, we're going to talk about my friends over in Estonia, sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming. Why though? Why P? Why are they the best? It's because they accept Bitcoin, of course. But also, look, I love these guys. I went out to Estonia, spent some time with them. They told me how much they love Bitcoin, what they want to do to promote Bitcoin, and they nailed it this year. They put a Bitcoin logo on the front of a Premier League football shirt. So if you're watching Southampton at the moment, you will see a Bitcoin logo on their shirt. They're also the betting partner of Arsenal, so you will also see Bitcoin logos all around the Arsenal stadium. Now, with Sportsbet, you have every market you could possibly be interested in. They've got football, tennis, American sports, motorsports. They've even got esports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. If you want to find out more, head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotion. So the interesting thing on a Bitcoin standard is, right, uh, when I say what I'm going to say now, you might go, well, derpy, you should have known that straight away. But it just hadn't really crossed my mind. But like, I realized this year I'm living on a Bitcoin standard, right? I realized I'd made that transition. But it hadn't really crossed my mind. Like, I was kind of in my mind, I was thinking, oh, a Bitcoin standard is when, like, uh, maybe a country adopts it as a Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin as a standard. or or. But then I realized, that no, because Bitcoin's decentralized, right? I mean, anyone can adopt a gold standard, but that doesn't make any sense. But I've adopted a Bitcoin standard. Uh, anything which isn't cash flow for personal business is now Bitcoin. And that's just the way I operate. Uh, Michael Saylor's doing it. I was chatting today with Corey Clipson from Swan Bitcoin. Like he was, we, I said to him the most interesting thing that Michael Saylor's done to me recently 
isn't the two big purchases. It's these two incremental $10 million purchases of like, you know, 150 Bitcoin, whatever the number was. I was like, yeah, because you're on a Bitcoin standard. So like, you don't want to hold fiat. Um, I, th- I guess a full Bitcoin standard, like I'd be going one step further where I'd be like, you can't, like people still pay me in dollars and stuff. And I'd be like, no, I only want to be paid in Bitcoin. But I kind of realized I've got to that point. I'm on a Bitcoin standard. There's a bunch of other people on a Bitcoin standard. And it's just kind of organically happening. Totally. It It's it's a multi-decade thing. People like there's not going to be a flip of a switch and everyone goes to the Bitcoin standard. It's these are humans after all. The Bitcoin network is, is code that organizes humans together, but it can't change human behavior in a second. Money is an incredibly intricate topic that people have just been kind of born into where they're like, oh, my government prints money and that's what money is. They have got to challenge their assumptions of government and money in order to understand Bitcoin. So it wasn't like this was going to be a binary process where things flip off. It's the early believers like ourselves who get into Bitcoin, start to store value in it, prophesize it and talk about it, which you create content, I create content. We're doing the content together right now. This in turn brings in more follow- more believers. Bitcoin's price going up is, is the number one user acquisition channel. This is like my background is in growth marketing. This is how I think through things like number one user acquisition mm-hmm. channel, number go up, price goes up, people hear more about it. They get, they get interested in it. They FOMO in to buy it. And then they find our content and their, their hot, their hodler mindset gets even harder and, and more resolved and, and with more resolve. So this takes decades and actually generations. Like this will be a thing where the boomers die out over time and it doesn't really matter that we convert that cohort into Bitcoin because they are passing on their wealth through the younger generations and the younger generations are generating all this wealth to where like it's only the younger cohorts that truly matter. It's great if the boomers get in. But I think uh, Steve Jobs actually had a quote around this when someone was someone was complaining about keyboards back in the 90s, <laughs> like in the 80s or 90s, someone was complaining about Apple keyboards. And Steve was like, well, the people that don't like it are going to die out. And he was right. Yeah, he was like, well, sure, you know, I can't I can't build technology for people who are unwilling to change. And for people that don't like, as uh, Satoshi said, if you don't have I don't have time to convince you, sorry, you know, so it's sort of true too with Bitcoin, like it is we should try to strive to make as many people understand Bitcoin as possible. Certain age cohorts, especially younger, you know, if we look at uh, Kraken data, if we look at uh, my personal brand data, it's very much what you'd expect, right? millennial type folks are interested in bitcoin this is good millennials are Mm -hmm. slowly millennials are the largest age cohort in the workforce millennials are going through the stages of accumulating wealth bitcoin gives them that opportunity and so as the baby boomers pass on and pass on that wealth that wealth will accrue to bitcoin over time if the boomers don't do it themselves their younger offspring will take that wealth and put it into bitcoin it was really interesting because there's been a few interviews i've done this year that have really really like multiplied my conviction um a couple of really standout ones there was a really interesting one i did with nick bartier about his book layered money where i kind of came to a like a realization about the lightning network where i'd been mildly critical of the lightning network in a sense i was like i've just got no need for this because it's just a store of bitcoin's a store of value i don't need to like i don't need this and what i realized is it doesn't fucking matter what's happening now with the lightning network it's got years maybe decades to get itself to a point when we are on a Bitcoin standard, like an actual Bitcoin standard, and perhaps it is a currency and you need it. And then it's going to be in place. It's going to be robust. And I was like, holy shit, I never crossed my mind. Like, because I'm just naive like that. 
Um, but that that was a big changer for me. There was a really big changer. I did a show with Brandon Quitton about the fourth turn in, but like realistically, like needing that lifeboat, like that absolutely needing that lifeboat. And then I did the 1971 show with the guys from um, Ben Prentice and Heavily Armed Clown, where we talked a lot about like just history and what actually what the fuck actually happened in 1971. And all those shows have given me massive amounts of conviction. But it was just so weird, Dan, to realize, shit, I'm on a Bitcoin standard without knowing it. And, and the realization was, I'd rather get paid in Bitcoin. I turned around to one of my sponsors and said, look, you paid the year in a front, up front, I'll give you a 10% if it's in Bitcoin. And they did, and I'm already in profit on that. I'm like doing my own speculative attack against the past. Nice. Um, I don't want to spend my Bitcoin. I'm kind of pricing some things in Bitcoin, right? And uh, God, people are going to get bored of this because I've said this in like every interview since. But I interviewed Jamie from Hard Eight, and like we had this agreement. It's like the other thing about Bitcoin is, it's like it isn't just I'm hoping buying it, hoping it to go up. I don't want to sell it. I only want to leverage yeah. it. Like if I need money in the future, like for example, Dan, I want to buy want to buy a new house at some point, right? But I'm like I'm not going to sell my Bitcoin to buy a new house. I might leverage it. Totally. Like. If I need to, for, for whatever reason, buy them. And if I can't, if I have to sell my Bitcoin, I'm not well, fucking yep. doing it. And I just came to this realize, realization, shit, I'm on a Bitcoin standard. Yeah, both you and I have borrowed dollars or pounds against our, our Bitcoin as collateral. Um, this is a speculative mm-hmm. attack on, as Pierre Rochard originally kind of hypothesized years ago. He was like, okay, well, what what's going to happen in the future is people will just never go back to dollars. It'll borrow this asset that is losing value against the asset that is gaining value. And just it'll slowly suction away all the fiat into Bitcoin. And, and it's right. Like, I don't ever want to sell a Bitcoin if I don't have to. I only have one life to live, though. So I'm assuming I'm going to try everything I can not to sell a Bitcoin. I want to lend it or borrow against it, which you and I have both done. And we've talked about extensively on other podcasts, especially the first one, the Bitcoin Super Cycle. I ideally never want to spend my Bitcoin ever. You know, that's where... You know, if you do margin properly, if you borrow against your Bitcoin as collateral, and once those rates go down to something a little bit more serviceable, I think the eleven percent now is just too too freaking high. Um, you know, once it's down to like one to two percent, then you just borrow against your Bitcoin forever. <laughs> you know, like imagine imagine if you have a very low loan to value uh, ratio, so like ten percent of your collateral's value is what you borrow against. You're never going to get margin called with Bitcoin on that. Like, especially in this next cycle where I don't think we see as intensive a bear market, you could maybe bump that up to you borrow 20% worth of the value of your Bitcoin that you have as collateral. Even at the peak of the bull run, you still should be fine in the in the max drawdown. And once that happens and the debt is very serviceable, like at 1% annual interest rate, then it's just like, th- th- that's why the super cycle, that's why I was so excited, you know, to talk to you about that on our first episode. The super cycle, this time, the, the reason why we could have a super cycle is there is no way to exit your Bitcoin position in the past bull runs without having to sell it on spot. Instead, you can borrow against it or lend it, which reduces sell side pressure as the price climbs. So we keep absorbing and buying the supply. The supply decreases in terms of available people willing to sell. And so these, these bull runs could be incredibly intense because like what happens when no Bitcoiners want to sell and they just borrow against their Bitcoin? Like... <laughs> Like, I mean, that just sops up the supply like that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is it is quite incredible to, to live through it and to kind of go through those realizations. But it, it was, the other point really with Jamie was about it. And again, it came up with Corey today when he was saying the same. He said, look, the loan rates are too high, 10, 11%. Like, 
you know, once this market matures, there's more liquidity, it gets under 3%, maybe 2%. It'll be a, a lot more interest. Yeah, I mean, the rate should be close to zero. For someone holding dollars, your annual interest rate that you earn in a savings account is like 15 bips. And you're in your that savings account. I mean, those are like money market funds or like the savings account money market. You're lending your dollars out to other people. The <laughs> lending to Bitcoin hodlers at an over like which is a pristine pristine piece of collateral at an over collateralized like collateral. I mean, if you gave if you gave the lenders of dollars, if you gave them 30 bips, they would consider that good. <laughs> so like. It, it, Bitcoin should, I mean, the borrow rate should get down to like a percent. It, it should be super low. Yeah. Well, the other thing Corey, Corey was talking about is that we don't want to, we don't want to sell our Bitcoin because we know what a great asset is, what a pristine asset is, right? And we know that people like BlockFi get it, right? But there isn't this kind of wider acceptance, wider realization yet. And he said, once that starts to happen... You know, once the institutions, the banking institutions, maybe even central banks, once everyone else starts to realize that, then he said the market will change. But right now, it's just us within this like community who realize that. Totally. I don't want to sell this shit. Look, I, I try and end each month with more than the previous month. I think this might be the first month I don't for a while because I did my donation to Coin Center and I'm doing one to Brink, right? And I uh, gave my producer a bonus. Like I've, I've like spent a little bit of Bitcoin. I'm probably going to look back and go, fucking hell. But, you know, it is what it is. But generally speaking, I don't want to. I, I'm on that kind of Bitcoin standard. The next step for me, Dan, and I've been trying to figure out if I can do this, because I can't get a bank account for my business, right? Even the bank I've been with as a personal customer for 25 years won't give me a business account. Like, I cannot get a business account. Wow. And I'm kind of thinking, can I run this business on Bitcoin? Can I? I don't think I can, but do you know what I think I can do? If I have something like Strike or Bottle Pay, where I can have a combination of Bitcoin or Fiat together, in like pounds in the same like app, and I can move between the two, that's a large part of my problem solved. All I've got to figure out then is like, can I do payments to them? But uh, I, I am, I am definitely considering that next step to go into Bitcoin only. Now, look, that's going to be tricky in a bear market, but like, I am thinking about it. Yeah, it's a really cool way to think through it. Um, you know, my newsletter that I just launched is starting to throw off a little bit of revenue. And appreciate all the subscribers. Thank you so much. Like, it's so cool to see. You know, I've been talking about Bitcoin for years and. The newsletter is really like my intimate content where I give people like my first glimpse at what I'm thinking. And just to see people support me is honestly a really cool feeling. Like I've never really, it, I don't even know how to describe it. It's awesome. So thank you all who's ever subscribed so far. Like, thank you so much. It, it It's really incredible. And I'm looking at this fiat and I'm like, well, <laughs> I, should, I should set up my, my bank account, create a uh, an account at Kraken, and then immediately go <laughs> go buy Bitcoin with these dollars that I'm being paid. And, you know, I want to create like a little business out of this where I go spend some of this money on paying content creators. Like, for example, I work with a guy named Sven to create my uh, black and white gifts. But I want to take this to another level on YouTube. And that's where some of this money is going towards. And so I'm trying to think through. I'm like, OK, well, maybe I could maybe I could buy Bitcoin with it. And then I borrow dollars against it to go spend on these YouTube videos. You know, so I'm going through the same mental process as well, where I'm like, how do I just keep it all in Bitcoin? Like I've got this dirty fiat, mm -hmm. need to convert it to Bitcoin, and I but I don't want to miss out on the Bitcoin bull run, so maybe I can borrow against it to go build all this cool content that I want to go make. Uh, so yeah, it, I'm going down the same rabbit hole. Well, listen, I've got two more questions, and then we're going to wrap up. So 
What do you think are the main hurdles for us to achieving like a broad Bitcoin standard? Like there is a Bitcoin standard now because there are people operating it. You to some extent, me to some extent, some companies. I mean, you know, someone like Bitmex is operating a Bitcoin standard because they operate with Bitcoin, right? They they don't. That's their unit of account. They run their business. I know I've interviewed at least two people who basically live on Bitcoin and travel the world. And they only transfer a bit to Dirty Fit when they need to and they get paid in Bitcoin. But like a broad kind of, you know what I mean by that, a broad, broad acceptance, a broad Bitcoin standard, almost to the point where like you might even have an island or a country somewhere where it is the currency. Like, what do you think are the main hurdles to getting us there? Yeah, I mean, adoption. Adoption is the number one hurdle. More people buying it, more people holding it, uh, hodling it, you know, more people believing in it. That, that's what it takes for Bitcoin to be adopted. Like the more and more people get into it, it's, it's a network effect thing, you know? So that is the number one thing. And, and the barriers to that are education. I think like there has been, there was a huge lack of education before where like people are like, go read the white paper. I'm like, no, don't go read the fucking white paper. It's like super technical and jargony. <laughs> like it's like the abstract is the nice. The first couple of paragraphs are okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like yeah. really technical and people are like, Oh, first thing you should go do is read the white paper. I'm like, no, <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Like 90% of people are going to be like, this is way over my head. I don't get it. I'm confused. And now I'm not going to look into it. I send to send them to VJ Boyapati's the bullish case for Bitcoin. That is my mm -hmm. number one place I send people to go. I'm like, this is the place where you start. You know what's funny though is is I'm actually starting to dig into this a little bit more, and I haven't uh, put any effort towards this. But I think a course on how to learn about Bitcoin A to Z simple is the way forward here. Because right now, what I do is I send them to VJ Boyapati's article. I'm with you, man. I send them to a YouTube video, and I've got like three podcasts, which is like a, a What Bitcoin Did podcast and a few others. And so that's my go-to. Like, here's your starter pack for how to learn about Bitcoin. But it should be just like a course where it's like it's not enough. Know, yeah. Totally. And so I see a really big gap in the market. And I'd like to spend some more time like building something like that too, which I think would be really cool. Well, I'm with you because I know what you're thinking. You're like, I send you to that, but like, how do they even navigate that? Like VJ's article is great, but like there's, there's a lot. Do you know, what? again, referring to my interview with Corey earlier, we were talking about Clubhouse. And uh, I was also chatting to Brecky about this recently because I was in this room with him the other day and I was like, this is a real wake up to how people who know nothing about Bitcoin think or who know a tiny little bit. Totally. Like sometimes we forget this, right? You know, sometimes we forget that it's really not surprising why some people get dragged into shit coins because how are you meant to know the difference between Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum day one? Just how are you meant to know if you're not an Austrian yeah. economist or a libertarian, if you're just like some normal dude? So that, that's a big challenge. But it's a real eye-opener, some of the questions, because, you know, when they first get involved, it's like, well, basically, it's a, it's a gold 2.0, and you buy an exchange, and then you have to manage your security, and, and you use these things called addresses, but you need to back up your seed. Like, there's a lot of fucking shit. There's a lot. Yeah. Of, right? And that was a real eye-opener to me. And so what you're saying, Dan, is like, now what people need is their handheld lesson one this lesson two that that there's a massive demand for that totally and i think of it as kind of a black shoals model of different pathways to learn about bitcoin no one's it's like do you remember the books the choose your own adventure book remember when you were younger did you did you ever read one of those books where you could choose your own path in the book yeah i remember yeah and you get and like and it would say like go go to page 68 Yes. Yeah. Do you open the door or not open the door? Go to page 12 or go to page 68. And uh, that's what I think we need. That's the <laughs> ultimate. Shit. 
So I'm a growth marketer. So like I think about these things where, you know, we optimize Kraken's landing pages to optimize for conversion. As someone visits Kraken.com, we want to echo why Kraken's valuable to them, which increases the amount of folks who sign up. The same thing applies to Bitcoin. So it's it's pretty fun because I love to think through these problems that we're solving at Kraken and solve these problems for Bitcoin as well. Where what if we could build this journey where we go and we test this with data too? This is what I'd ultimately love to do. This would be the ultimate conversion kit for Bitcoin. Is we go test out, it's like, I feel more, you know, I feel more socialist or I feel more libertarian. And then it's like, cool, click this button. And then we go down to convert you as a socialist or convert you as a libertarian. Um, we could even do it by age. We could do it by what channel you're coming from, like Twitter, Facebook, like the, there's different demographic data there. It could be super advanced. And so that's like my dream is like coming up with something like that, where it's like the ultimate conversion kit for Bitcoin. The ultimate and it's, conversion kit. Yeah. So I, that's my dream. I, I got, I have, I'm so busy at Kraken and just putting out regular content that I'm not sure if I'll ever be able to do that. But if I had no job, that's probably what I'd go build. You know, I talked to Meltem about this once, about this idea, and that like you could do something like that, but they have like levels of the education. But like as they complete levels, you give them some sats, like you've earned some sats. You know, like, and if you complete it, then you can you, you can take your sats off because you will have learned how to you know manage your you know, uh, addresses. You would have learned to manage your uh, hardware device. You you like you would have gone through and learned what it all means, and we pay you a sat. So I don't know who pays for it, but you know perhaps a sponsor of some kind. But dude, if you do something like that and you need some help, I'm your man. <laughs> all right, man. Final question of our three part series, which I know we're going to do another three part at some point. It's just this is absolutely gold dust. So firstly, I appreciate all your time this, Dan, and I know the audience does. But like, what about what are the implications of a Bitcoin standard? Like, are there any uh, unintended consequences, un unavoidable consequences, you know, for example, what's the implication on government and governance? Like, do we risk going through a period of c could a Bitcoin standard lead us to like uh, an economic uh, glut because we're moving from, you know, cheap fiat based, a safer demon say fiat, fiat based goods to a uh, change in time preference so the things we're building and making that the, our productivity our productivity is different i hope hopefully you understand the question <laughs> i do i do so with any great change there will be fear uncertainty doubt what we call fud there will be inevitably oh. folks who are on the wrong side of the trade who invested inappropriately or did not embrace the change bitcoin can't help them this is an inevitable thing with any new technological advance any new advancement in power People will be positively and negatively impacted. It's just, it is what life is. It, it is just what will happen. Um, Bitcoin will be as, as a pure, you know, neutral money. It doesn't choose any favorites. It's purely whoever believed in it first and who had stored to choose, chose to store value in it. And folks would choose to understand it. Um, there was, I don't think there was much of an advantage given to earlier folks, given, given that like, you know, it was pretty hard to, to grok and understand back then. So I think like Bitcoin is one of the most fair starts to embrace a new wave of power and change, right? Like normally it was mm -hmm. like, oh, you're on the losing side of the war. Well, either you got shot or you just had to like embrace it. Well, with Bitcoin, it's a voluntary adoption of it. You can come in whenever you like. There's no forced nature to it. But if you choose poorly, you're going to be on the wrong side of history and you're going to see your purchasing power decline. 
Bitcoin can't help that. And that's not a bad thing that Bitcoin did. It's just, it's change is occurring and people choose not to embrace it. Have fun staying poor. <laughs> is, I think, is I think the best way to put it. So you uh, will be proud. Yeah. So I think on, in that regard, like Bitcoin's a neutral technology. It has no internal bias. It, it will only impact folks who choose not to believe in it, which is fine. It's a bit of a Rocco's basilisk, which I'm not sure if you don't understand the terminology, no, but it's a, it's a game theory sort of question. Not a really game theory. It's more of like a kind of a fun mental, mental thing to think through of, if someone built a machine, if it, like an AI was built and you did not embrace it, you would be punished by it. So everyone has, you might as well choose to help funds to build the evil AI because if you don't fund it, it'll hurt you. Bitcoin in a way is kind of like that. If you choose not to believe it or embrace in it, it's a bit of like you're going to lose out. So, you know, in terms of like the game theoretic decision making, you obviously invest in it because if you don't invest in it, you're so negatively impacted by its outcome that you should definitely choose the optionality of investing in it. Um, so Bitcoin yeah. is kind of like that. It has a lot of negativity for folks who don't buy into it because your purchasing power declines while everyone else's goes up. Um, you know, I think from a government level, like there's going to be a lot of criticism. People will choose to say that Bitcoin created this nasty economic environment, but in reality it was the government. Bitcoin merely highlights and exposes the flaws of poor central banking policy and poor government policy. People will look at these wealthier Bitcoiners and point to them and go, this is unfair, this isn't cool, and I expect bailouts from my government. And because they're used to getting bailed out, they're used to getting, uh, they're financially dependent on the government. And so, you know, in the last grasps, the last gasps and grasps from the existing financial system will be to try to say, Bitcoin is unfair. Look at all these people suffering. We want to remedy the situation. When in reality, it's like, no, I just saw the future before you did and chose to invest in it and risk my money and I'm being rewarded for it. So we'll see a lot of people, you know, cry out and say, Bitcoin is not fair, especially as this starts to switch over. Um, and then people will, you know, during crisis, they'll turn to their government again to print money and no one will trust the government anymore. The money won't be worth anything. So people will point to Bitcoin as creating suffering. Right. Like, oh, Bitcoin allows us to is is allowing suffering to happen because we can't print more of it. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, Bitcoin is a neutral technology. It merely is just an algorithm. Right. Like this is just a piece of math. There's no such thing as suffering or not suffering. It's just you choose to embrace it or not. And so people will be their mindset has been molded by fiat and they're going to expect fiat outcomes. And Bitcoin is just it's this cold piece of, of code that is like, I don't care how you feel. And so they're going to feel that's going to be an adjustment. And certainly they'll blame Bitcoin for their, for their own mistakes. I mean, Bitcoin did not cause these mistakes. These mistakes mm -hmm. were caused by the people and their government, but people will choose to try to blame Bitcoin for their own mistakes. Cold piece of hard reality, man. Well, listen, Dan, love you, brother. Thank you for doing this. Three yeah, man, cracking shows. Like I say, we could, could have done 20 of them, dude. All right, listen, look. Tell people where to sign up to your email. I'm going to put it in the show notes. I signed up. Dan didn't give me a free copy. I paid because it's fucking awesome and you should all do it. But Dan, <laughs> tell them where to find it, dude. Yeah, well, you know, I got to pay Peter back with the beer. That was the arrangement that we made. I'll pay him back with the beer for, <laughs> to be a loyal subscriber. But um, yeah, it's Dan Held Substack. So danheld.substack.com uh, or search, just Google search Dan Held Substack. It's a weekly newsletter that comes out for paid subscribers. It comes out once a month for free subscribers. It's basically my weekly thoughts on Bitcoin, 
distilling down topics like Bitcoin versus Ethereum, which will be an upcoming topic, which a lot of people have been asking about. I've got, you know, I've got one on like, can governments kill Bitcoin? Um, you know, the recent like war, Wall Street bets, like the rise of that and the rise of that rebellious nature, how that impacts Bitcoin. So it's kind of like you're in, it's me. It's a direct brain feed from me to your inbox. And uh, I have a lot of fun writing it. On Twitter, I have to write content that will trend based on Twitter's algorithm. Like, do I always want to tweet a one-liner tweet that's pumpy? Not really, but that's what Twitter likes and that's what my audience likes. But in this, I'm able to just write whatever I feel. I don't even have an editor, so it just it's just me sitting down and writing. So it's, it's really fun for me. It's actually my most fun writing I've ever done. My older, longer-form articles, they were so intense that it took, like, you know, I had, like, Nick Carter would review them and, and a dozen other Bitcoiners, and this is just much more pure. So it's a lot of fun. If you just want my frank thoughts on Bitcoin, it's a great place to get them. And, uh, you know, appreciate everyone who's already subscribed. Again, really can't can't say enough about like how good that makes me feel. It's just a really cool experience to be this plugged in. So, yeah, Pete, thanks for having me. This has been a blast. And, uh, yeah, thanks to everyone else. Well, dude, you have an open invite to my podcast. You know that. Keep doing what you're doing. I am a smarter, better human for knowing you. I appreciate everything you do. And, fuck, man, I hope I can get over soon and see you. But, like, is what it is. Peace out. Love you. Take care, dude. Cheers, bro. All right. What do you think of that? You enjoy that? Did you check out the other two shows I did with Dan? So the first one we did was the Bitcoin super cycle. The second one we did was why Silicon Valley doesn't understand Bitcoin. And obviously, we completed today. Honestly, though, reality. Me and Dan could have probably done a 10-episode series. You should go and check out his newsletter. I'm signed up to it. I signed up the other day. I paid for it. Dan would have given it to me for free, but I always think you should pay and support your fellow content creators. Um, his emails are brilliant. Uh, every, I mean, I don't know how often they come. Maybe it's more than once a week. I can't really remember. But every email I get is like another piece of like the Bitcoin story, which he teaches you. It's really cool. Uh, links to that are in the show notes, so please do go and check that out. Uh, if you've got any questions, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. If you want to support the show, if you love the show, you've been listening to it for a long time, if you never left me a review, please do head over to Apple Podcasts. It takes about two minutes. Leave me a review. It's really, really helpful. Outside of that, if you want to go head over to Defiance at defiance.news, we've got a new show on there. It's called The Walls of Wall Street Bets. It's all about what happened with Wall Street Bets, Robin Hood, and GameStop. Got some great guests on that. We've got Jamie, the founder of Wall Street Bets, Matt Kaiser, Nathaniel Whittemore, Preston Pish, and Bill Barheight. Oh, and Hester Pierce from the SEC. So go and check that out. And also, if you haven't signed up to my newsletter, that's available at neveredit.com. That's a Monday to Friday daily email covering tech, macro, and Bitcoin. Have a great rest of your weekend. Love you all, and I'll see you all next week.